Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So how are you thinking this morning? How's your thinker working? So I was talking with some of you today and I said, so how's your thinking going? It's like, How you think really matters. I mean, it probably matters more than you realize. We don't think about how we think much, do we? But how we think really, really matters. The uh, uh, Zig Ziglar, who was a Christian motivational speaker, um, talked about, he, he called it stinking thinking. We were thinking ways that worked against us and uh, keep us from seeing things the way they really are and making the right kinds of choices. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in, in his letter to the Philippians, says, man, here's what you need to think on if there's any, any good things, any virtue, any praise, any love, any hope, the positive things. Think on these things. Focus in on these things. Because guess what? There's enough in life that's negative and hard and is going to press into your mind, aren't there? Does it every day. It could do it even while we're sitting here today. It could come from wherever, right? There that thought is, where that come from. Uh, but so... If we're going to think in ways that work for us, we must think about our thinking. And since most of us here, if not all of us here today, are Christians, it's imperative that we think like Christians. Because you aren't going to live like a Christian if you don't think like a Christian. Okay? And so it all works together. And so... Uh, let's go to uh, Peter's first letter, 1 Peter, chapter 1. We've been here for the last few weeks. We're going to continue, I think, for a little while. Peter's first letter to uh, the people, these were Christians who were spread all over what's called Asia Minor. It had been the region of Turkey and the countries around there. He was writing to Christians who were there. They were being persecuted Uh, facing lots of difficulties in life. And so he's writing to them to remind them of their relationship with God and and through Christ and what difference that should make. And in the first part of the chapter, he talks about Christ dying for us, Christ rising from the dead, how we've placed our faith in that, how because of that, that we have eternal life that's guaranteed to us and, and blessings of that in heaven. We have all of that kind of stuff. And he talks about how we we. It's our faith that God has given us, so we believe that, and, and faith is so, so important. Remember, we talked about that faith is so, so valuable, more precious than gold that perishes, Peter says. And so we have all these things that are true. And if all those things are true, shouldn't life just be grand? Well, in some ways it can be. But there's always going to be hardships and difficulties coming along. But anyway, so Peter's saying, hey, here's the reality of who you are in Christ. Here's the reality of what God has done. Here's the reality of where you're headed for all eternity. And then he starts talking about, okay, here's what you need to do. The first uh, 12 verses in Peter's letter here, he's, uh, are you guys brains enough to do, awake enough to do a little grammar here? Grammar, we loved grammar in school, right? 
So in, in the first 12 verses, Peter is speaking almost exclusively in what we call the indicative mood. And that's the word mood, I think is kind of misleading. But anyway, the indicative mood. And what that means is he's making statements of fact. This is the way this is. This is true. This and this is true and that and another thing. But he gets to verse 13 and he changes that and he begins speaking almost exclusively in the imperative mood. You remember what imperative and imperative is? Imperative means it's, it's a command kind of statement. And, and in the Greek language, which he wrote in here, that was clear in the, how the words were spelled. And so he moves to saying, okay, these things are things that you should do. These are not just statements of the way things are. These are things that you are supposed to do. And because um, he's told us all these truths, and then he says, you need to apply these. And he starts off, and we're just going to look at one verse today. Verse 13, and he says this. Therefore, okay, because of all these things that are true about you as a Christian, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, we, <clears throat> when was the last time you talked to anybody about the loins of your mind? Okay, so the idea of the loins in the body is, is this portion here from below the ribs to just down here. So it's the very central part of your body. And uh, the way people dressed back then, largely, the, the men and the women, probably different kinds, but they, they wore robes, okay, that were long and flowing. And if you needed to run, if you needed to fight, if you needed to work, if you needed to climb, they would gird up their loins. And the way they would do that is they would take that robe and pull it up and wrap it, wrap it, and tuck it in the belt. And so now that it was all up here. So they girded it up, they brought it all to the center and tucked it in so they could do whatever they needed to do. Well, what's Peter saying here we need to do? He's using that to talk about our minds and how we think. And normally when we're going through life, our, our minds are kind of like that robe. If you're walking along, what's that robe doing? going in and out and everywhere, you know. And uh, so um, he's saying our minds, we need to gather that up and bring it together to the center and, and make sure it's attached. Okay? How are we thinking? All of those thoughts, do they match what's at the core of the mind? And so this is the word when he uses the... Um, He's talking about the loins of your mind, the center part of your mind. And the word that he uses here for mind, interesting where there's different words that the Bible uses for mind, but the Greek word that's translated here really refers to the deeper part of your mind. It's thinking deep thoughts, it's core thoughts, it's main thoughts. Um, and so that's what Peter has just described in the first 12 verses. These are core beliefs. These core beliefs, this core theology is about, you know, um, who is God? What is God like? All these things we learn from the scriptures. OK? 
Okay? Who, who is God? What's he like? You know, Jesus, the Son of God, what does that mean? Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do in our lives? What's the word of God about? And even like, what's our overarching purpose as Christians? You know, God made us for something and then he saved us for something. So what is that purpose? And so we have that. All, we, all of that we want to have settled in our mind. And then all of these other thoughts, like the robe that flows around you, all these other thoughts need to be, when he says gird up the loins of your mind, he means we need to bring these up and, and actually look at them and say, wait a minute, okay, does this match? Does this match the things that I really know are true? Because, believe it or not, I mean, we're not designed to be messed up people. God didn't design us to be messed up and messed up in our thinking. But the reality is, is we can hold to some core beliefs and then when we aren't thinking about that and we aren't evaluating what we're thinking, we can think things that go against that. Because we aren't thinking about our thinking. Okay? And so he's saying, no, 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 we need to gather all that together and bring it in and make sure that it is matching all those things that we know are true from the word and things we continue to learn and grow in the word and match and say, it's the way I'm thinking about life, the way I'm looking at life, is it really accurate? And so this is the idea of gird up the loins of your mind, bring that in, consider what you're believing and what you're thinking. It's more like what you're thinking, not necessarily what you're believing. Okay, and then he says, be sober. Well, that sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Because we typically think being sober is not being drunk. Uh, but this word means more than that. It does mean that. Uh, but it really means uh, being serious-minded about the things that are serious. In other words, looking at your life with a serious perspective. Okay? The things I do in life have really eternal ramifications, not just here and now. We'll talk more about that. Um, God has done things for me that really communicate that some things are very important and I need to think about that. And so this idea of, of really being serious about things that are serious, being serious about things that are significant, uh, being proactive about these things, being sober, about paying attention, okay? Paying attention. And then he says this, then all of this, so we're girding up the loins of our mind, we're, we're being serious about our lives and how we think about things and live. And then he says, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that he's going to reveal to us. Um, when the Bible talks about hope, you know, oftentimes I think in English when we talk about hope, we have this idea of if I say, hey, is something going to happen? And you go, I hope so, right? Well, the Greek word that's translated hope communicates something much greater than that. When the, the Bible's using this word, it's more like what is it that you're expecting? What is it that you're expecting? It hasn't happened yet, but you're expecting to happen because of what you know to be true. And that's what he's saying, your hope. Because ultimately, my hope does not rest in how well I can think. It just doesn't. I've messed up plenty of times in life to know that. My hope does not rest on my ability to endure. My hope does not rest on how much 
money I can accumulate. My hope does not rest on, on uh, my relationships in life. Because all of those things can be taken away from you like that, can't they? They can be gone. I like the way one teacher used to talk about it. He said, you have all these things you're holding in your hand. And he says, God can go. And forget that God can do it. Life can do it. Right? And so our hope, I mean, we're going to work hard to gird up the loins of our mind to bring our thinking into, you know, consistent with the word and what's true. We're going to be serious about it and diligent about it, thinking about all those things. But ultimately... All of that is a waste of time unless God does something. True? Unless God does what he's promised to do. And so we, our expectation is that it's going to matter. Girding up the loins of my mind and being serious about my life is going to matter because God says so. And so that's where my hope lies in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 the end of a chapter where the Apostle Paul is talking about how certain we are of the resurrection of Christ, he says this, and I'll probably say it in King James because that's where I memorized it, but he said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's never wasted. When you seek to live the Christian life and you put your heart into it and you do the things we're talking about here, the Peter's talking about today, it's never wasted. Have you ever done anything in life that would seem like it was wasted? Huh? Don't we all from time to time? <laughs> Boy, that was a waste. <laughs> but when it comes to the things that we do because of who we are as Christians, we're trusting God, we're living by Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trusting the Lord with all our hearts, not depending on our own ability to understand everything in all our ways, the best we know how we're acknowledging him by trying to live according to the ways he says. When we live that, it is never in vain. It always matters. It always makes a difference. And I was talking with somebody just here this morning who was talking about a really hard, I mean, not terribly hard, but just a really not good situation in life. And, and, and he said he was telling himself, okay, he's actually he was telling God, God, you said that all things work together for good. Well, guess what? They do. But as he and I discussed, we don't always get to see what that good is in this life. This life is a life of faith, isn't it? And so by faith, we believe what God has said, that it will not have been wasted, that it will have mattered, and it matters in ways that we don't always see. But so he, he's talking about this, this grace. In other words, it's, it's God's grace working in our lives that's going to make this a reality. And he talks about this grace that's to be brought up, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ is talking about when Jesus returns. When he returns for us as his people, when he returns to the earth to set up his kingdom, that, that this grace is going to be revealed in, in just, well, let me be predictable here in ways that will be amazing. Amazing. 
uh, and, and we will see, we will understand more. Uh, we'll see things, a lot of things more clearly. But he says that that is something that's a hope that we have that should keep us girding up the loins of our mind. And that hope that should keep us and motivate us to be uh, diligently, be sober-minded, to be serious, to, to pay attention. Okay, so there, there's three things. So let's, let's just uh, briefly review those three things. So the first one Peter tells us to do is this. And I say, after you're saved, you've trusted Christ as Savior because you know he died for your sins and rose again. And, and by faith, you trust him and his uh, payment for your sins. And he comes into you. He brings you to life spiritually, gives you eternal life. Uh, and so now we've done that. And then Peter says this. He says, you need to develop a sound, thorough, biblical view of life. And they need you to begin evaluating and prioritizing according to those things. Gird up the loins of your mind. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about what, is, what, is, what does God say about who he is? What does God say about what that should mean in our lives? What does it say that God has promised to do in our lives? What does it say about how we're to interact with other people? What does it say about the purpose for our lives? See, we need to get in the word of God. And, and what we're doing is we're girding up the loins of our mind. We're bringing these things all together in this, this deep part of our mind that it's going to then, we're going to use to figure out everything else as we go along. Okay, so you develop this sound, thorough, biblical view of life, and then you evaluate life, and you look and say, hey, is this consistent? I'm girding up the loins, right? I'm bringing this thought or this activity or whatever, I'm bringing it up and say, wait a minute, is this consistent? And we're going to talk about some examples of this today. Is this consistent with what I know to be true? Is this consistent with what it means to be a Christian? And then we prioritize. We say, okay, all right, this, we're being sober-minded, serious. We're do, you know, this matters. This really matters. You know, this over here, that's optional. This really matters, okay? And so we're looking at our lives and we're coming up with those kinds of priorities, all right? Then uh, this idea of, you know, paying attention, being serious about what's seriously. The second thing he's saying is this, to diligently, purposefully, and consistently then live by your priorities. Live by those things. I've arrived at these conclusions. I know what God says. And by the way, that's never a done deal. We're always learning it, right? And we're always adjusting it. We're growing. But we, we've looked at some things and arrived at some conclusions. We've set up some priorities. And now I'm saying, okay, I've got to do that. What does that mean? What do I do in this situation because of, of, I'm a Christian and here's who God is and what the, what do, how do I live that? What, what comes first? And okay, I've got to make a choice here. Because if you don't, you know, you'll go through life not making choices which is a choice. And if you go through life not making choices, life just happens to you. And be honest, you can end up with that stuff being wasted. But if instead you say, no, I'm, I'm going to do my best to be um, proactive here and, and applying these priorities and living this way, and then, you know, even if you don't get it perfect, it's not going to be wasted. It's going to matter in this life and Forever. So diligently, purposefully, and consistently live by your priorities. And then he said, right, you're resting your hope on Christ's return and the grace of God that we're already experiencing, but that we're going to see so much more. You know, we are, we, 
we as a church, in some extent, us as individual Christians, but we as a church are like an outpost, a military outpost in enemy territory. Really are. The natural world is not a friend of God. And therefore the natural world is not a friend of us. Jesus says, the world has hated me, so guess what? They're going to hate you. And that doesn't mean every person, but we're talking about the world system separate from God. Okay? So we are like an outpost, and we come and gather, and uh, even when we're not gathered, we're still gathered together in our hearts. We know each other. We care, right? But so we gather as an outpost, and we, post, we're always under attack. We've got to be careful, and this is not the sermon, but we've got to be careful of the church. We don't think, okay, outpost is what it is. Because God tells us to go out of the outpost and go out into enemy territory. And you know what? Really, we need to set up some more outposts. Right? We need to reach more people. We need to see more churches established. and grow. We need to be doing that. So uh, the thing is, though, we're always under attack. But the rescue mission is already on the way. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And so... Well, let's let me say it this way. So what you want to do, the third thing, is to gain and maintain an eternal perspective on all of life. An eternal perspective. That this life, let me say this, the here and now is never just about the here and now. The here and now always has ripples that go out through the rest of your life and on into eternity because we will stand before the, as Christians, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to evaluate our lives. And we're going to look at all these things that have been here and now things. And we're going to look at them in light of eternity. So, good idea, maybe we start looking at the here and now, now, in the light of eternity. Right? What is this going to mean? How does this fit with God's eternal perspective and plans? What is Jesus going to say to me about this on that day when he's evaluating my life with him? And let's just be clear, if we've received Christ as Savior, that judgment is not about whether you go to heaven or hell. That judgment is purely an evaluation of how did you live your life? Did you live, you know, according to my word? Did you not? Did you walk in the spirit or did you walk in the flesh? All the kinds of things. And it's for the idea, of, I want to reward you for those things that you, you know, this, remember when I told you it wouldn't be in vain, he says? Not in vain. And he wants to reward us for those things. So our whole life gets evaluated. So we want to learn to live that way. All right. So these three things. Develop a sound, thorough, biblical view of life. Evaluate and prioritize accordingly. This is girding up the loins of our mind. Diligently, purposefully, consistently live by your biblical priorities. That's being sober-minded, serious, proactive, paying attention. And then gain and maintain an eternal perspective on all of life because Jesus is coming back and, and here and now it's going to be it's about forever, really, is what it's about. Okay? So let's make some applications to this. How does this actually work out in our lives? So let's just give, use an example of our jobs, our jobs, our careers, okay? Um, the choices that we make in those kinds of things. And when we're thinking about girding up the loins of our mind, this, this, the truths that need to be settled in our mind is this. First of all, who provides my needs? My job, or employer, or God? It's not intended to be a trick question. It's God, isn't it? Now, he may use my job right now to do that. 
He may use a career to do that, but he's ultimately the one that provides. And so that is important for me to understand because when I have choices to make about job and career, I need to remember, wait, God provides for me, so if I need to do something that puts that at risk because God wants me to, then that's right, God's going to provide for me. Second thing is oftentimes we work because we want to find significance. We find significance in what we do. Well, ultimately, where does our significance come from? Our work or God? It comes from God. Because let me tell you, you, you go to work and you're trying to find your significance in that and, and that's going to affect how you relate to people. You're going to make bad decisions and, and because you're trying to make this all be something for yourself and then all of a sudden it's just gone. How many people two years ago thought they were all set in a job and who now aren't? Right? I mean, it can just be gone. But let me tell you, when you find your significance in the Lord, God made me this way. I'm a special creation of his. He has purposes and plans for me as an individual. We get that as we go through the word and look at it. And then I, he says, wow, God has given me this job. I'm going to go be who God made me to be in this job and whether the job goes well or not, and all of a sudden the job isn't there, I still am significant. I still matter. God, because God's the one that comes from. And then satisfaction. Sometimes we're trying to find satisfaction in our work. Well, let me just say to you that ultimately, God is the only one who can satisfy your heart. Years ago, when I first became a believer and I, I was singing in church and I sang a song, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And um, it's true. Now, if, Jesus, if you're finding your satisfaction in the Lord, guess what? You may also be able to enjoy satisfaction in your job. But you don't have to depend on it. You can enjoy it. But you don't have to depend on it because your satisfaction is coming from the Lord. So you see already these core truths, right? God provides for me. He's, he's the, where my significance comes from. And as I walk with him, he will bring satisfaction into my heart. Okay, I have a job. And I bring those truths with me to the job. And I am no longer owned by that job. I am no longer controlled by that job. I am free to go into that job and work it as a child of God. That's huge. And so we need to think about these things. And, and so let me give you seven questions to ask when you're considering things about a job. Okay? Um, and this is, if you're looking for a job, these seven questions would apply. If you find yourself in a job and you're going, yeah, I don't know. These seven questions would apply. And I would challenge you because we're going to be sober-minded to be proactive that from time to time, even in that job that you think you're all set in, ask yourself these questions again. All right. First one is this. Is this something I can do with a good conscience before God? All right. There's an awfully lot of honest work you can do with a good conscience before God. But make sure that it is. I mean, if you're working someplace where they're telling you, like I heard years ago, one car dealer that they were telling them, don't ever tell the customer the truth about how much they're paying for this car. In essence, lie to them, fudge, whatever, right? You can't do that as a Christian, right? So ask yourself, can I in good conscience uh, do this job? Secondly, will it interfere significantly with other God-given responsibilities or maybe even prevent me from doing them? You know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. 
uh, I'm a family member. I am a church member. Okay, I have responsibilities there. Um, will this significantly hinder that? Or maybe even prevent it altogether? And you might say, I can't take this job. I can't do this job because of that. Uh, third, will this job affect my testimony or reputation for Christ negatively? I can think of one place in the community in which I live that if I went to work there, my reputation would be hurt because of their reputation. Doesn't matter how much money they want to give me, that would affect my testimony for Christ. So I'd have to say no. All right. So these first three questions, these are kind of... Uh, the most important ones. Let's, let's go to the, the question number four, though. Will it pay the bills? All right? That's a good thing to consider. Will it pay the bills? Uh, and that's not the only thing, but it is an important thing. You know, if, you, if you're working a job and it won't pay the bills, then you might say, God, I, what are we going to do here? Are you going to provide miraculously for me or you want to give me a new job? Whatever. But we ought to consider that. Uh, so like I said, the first three are kind of non-negotiable. These are... Not negotiable, but different circumstances, different answers. Number five, is it something that fits my personality and skills? Because God made me a certain way. He did. And, and Pastor Dave and I have, uh, you know, we look at our personalities and our skills, and they are very different. And I am so glad. Because I mean, Dave could do everything I do, and I, I can't speak for how he would feel about it, but I could do everything that Dave does and it would drive me nuts. Okay? You understand what I'm trying to say? And I was, that's not my personality and skills. So you want to think about that. And now sometimes you may need to take a job right now because you need the money and it doesn't fit your personality and skills, but you know this is temporary and you're just you know, being faithful and diligent. Okay? Uh, number six, knowing the way I am, is it something I can see myself doing for a long time? You know, that's, it's good if you can find something like that. That's really, I mean, for me, once again, my thing is I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. I can teach you probably anything I know about. That's how I am wired. And so if I can find something that I can do that for a long time, then excellent, okay? But once again, you may have to do things short term. Sometimes you've got to do things for a while. Uh, number seven, do I think this will help me accomplish God's long-term plans for my life? Do I think that there's things that God's want, God wants me to do? Like if you had in your heart, you said, you know, I th always think that somehow or other God eventually wants to use me as a, as a helping with the missionaries in a mission field or some Christian organization, whatever, fine. If that's the long-term plans and you want to get to that place, you got to say, okay, if, if I do this, is it getting me there? You know, is it going to take me down that path? But you see what we're doing here? We're girding up the loins of our mind and then being sober, serious-minded, looking at our lives We've made priorities and we're now applying them to our lives in our jobs. Now, it may be that if we go back to the, go back one, uh, would you, Barry? Yeah, go get all three of them up there if you would. Oh, not that far. Yeah, there you go. Get the next two up there too. There we go. So this, especially number two, you know, will it interfere significantly with other God-given responsibilities? You know, there are times that you might have to work when you can't, Come worship with your church family. That could happen. But you can't just say, oh, well, got to work. Here's what you got to do. If, if you determine that, you know what, for this time in my life, this season of, of my 
employer or whatever's going on, you say, I, gotta, I can't be at church on Sunday mornings. You gotta, what you have to do is you say, okay, I have this responsibility to be connected with my church. I gotta double down in other ways of being connected. Somehow I gotta do something to make sure I stay connected. I gotta be in a Bible study in a small group or life group. I got to be involved in a ministry outside of Sunday morning because I gotta stay connected. And let me just say to you, while sitting at home watching a video is very valuable, it is not a sufficient connection to your church. It's just not, okay? Uh, so you, I, I, don't, I can't tell you what it is, but the idea is if you're saying, okay, I can't do this that I really ought to be doing as a Christian, for, for this, just for this time, I am going to, I have to double down and figure this out. It might be that you have to just put your job at risk and make a different decision. Many years ago, when I worked for uh, General Mills, that was my first job out of college, and I took a job at General Mills uh, because nobody shared these seven questions with me. Uh, no, not really. It's the reality was I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I, Glenn and I were getting married in September, and I needed a job. And so I got a job packing flour at General Mills. I worked there for the whole year. Uh, but during that year, uh, I found myself in a position where they went seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And the job that I currently was in, I had to... Uh, uh, work days. I was the song leader at church, choir director, and taught the college and career class on Sunday mornings. Sunday nights we had services too, but that's Sunday morning, okay? And so I've, I'm going to try to be a good employee and do that. And some of you have heard the story, so bear with me on it. But I traded with other people so I could do this. But I, I, I traded like this. I worked Friday days my regular shift, okay? And then on Saturday, I traded with someone to work three to 11. And then I traded with somebody, somebody on Sunday to work not till 11 o'clock at night, work till seven the next morning. But then I had to, I traded, I had to, to double back in at three o'clock on Monday afternoon. And then I had to be back in, I got up at 11, back in at seven o'clock on Tuesday morning. And I didn't have a clue what day it was. And I was exhausted. And I, I finally realized I can't do this. And so I talked to them. I said, look, I, you know, I'm involved in ministry. I have these responsibilities. I'm part of this church. I believe it's what God wants me to do. And they said, well, we can't, sorry, we can't let you off. I said, well, okay, I'm just telling you here. I'm, I'm not going to be here. That Sunday morning when I'm scheduled, I'm going to call in and tell you I'm not going to be here. I'm giving you a heads up. I didn't know what would happen. And, but what happened is they totally ignored the whole situation. And so I didn't have to work those Sundays. I, that was how God worked that out for me. But the point is, and I'm no, I'm no here on this because I just try to figure stuff out along the way myself, but God worked. Because I, I, here's the priorities. Here's what really matters. Here's the decision I need to make. Okay? And I encourage you, you can trust God with those things. Um, by the way, if you let anything take God's place in your life, that's idolatry, right? And so this is part of how we think about things. What are we letting be most important in our lives? So let's talk about family for a minute. Family. Is family important? How important? 
I know you guys worry I'm going to trick you. I'm not. How important is it? It's really important, isn't it? Family's right up there at the top. One of the most important things in our lives. Okay? We go to God's Word and we see that. It's very, very important. Um, is family the most important thing in your life? Here's where Satan's trap comes. Because Satan wants you to think, and not that he's actually involved, but this is the lie. These are the things that aren't true. The trap is that your family is the most important thing in your life. Now, besides the fact that Jesus said it ain't true, remember what he said? He said, you've got to love me way more than your family. I come first before your family. And we settle that. God comes first in my family. Okay, he comes first in my life, and then therefore I do with my family what he says I should do. I do, you know, it is important, but the trap is to think it is the most important. And I don't think probably any of us here today says, well, my family's more important than God. But when we talk about these extraneous thoughts that are just flying out here and don't necessarily match what we know to be true, we can end up adopting and living like our family is more important than God. And how do we know this? Well, because we find out that when it comes to the things of God in our lives, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the coming together to worship together and to hear from God's word together and then being involved in ministry or, or life groups or whatever, doing those kinds of things, what we end up having is, well, okay, we can't do that this Sunday because we have this we need to do. Oh, I can't do that that Sunday because the kids need to do this. Or I can't, we can't be involved in that ministry because my kids need to do-do-do-do-do. And what's happening, and church goes where, and the relationship with God goes where? Ding, 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 down the list. Church is on Sunday is what we do if we can. Convenient. You see what I mean? This is, and we're, I think all of you know, we're not about legalistic here saying if you don't show up at church on Sunday morning, God's mad at you. We aren't saying that kind of thing, but we are saying that this is very important. This should be a high priority, what we're doing here today. It should be, okay? And if you do other than that, if you let other things take God's place, you hurt your family. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You harm your family. The very thing that you're saying is the most important, you do damage to them. Um, give you some examples here. Um, and I, the Langrens, when Andrew was playing baseball, and I don't remember what the ages were, but the, what started to happen is all of a sudden, they start, you know, as he got in different leagues or levels, there started to be the games on Sundays. And they wanted him there earlier than he could be there if he came here. And, and I, you'd have to speak to them about all the details and how they worked this out. But their decision was that we told the coach Andrew can be here at this time, okay? And I don't know if that affected his ability to get into play or not, but anyway, they made that choice because what's Andrew's life about? You know, what was life going to be about, okay? And so they made those choices. And let me just say, once again, we're not talking legalistic. You know, there might be times and places that they might have made a choice, say, okay, well, this Sunday you can, but it can't be higher priority. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, my daughter, oldest daughter, when she was nine years old, maybe eight, nine years old, but she was doing this kind of stuff. 
She was a good gymnast. By the time she was 10 years old, she was getting ready to move from level eight to nine. And by the time you get to nine and 10, now you're talking about national kind of level gymnastics. And um, I began to agonize over this as a parent, and Glenda and I both talking about this, because at this time she was now, what time she was 10 years old, she's in the gym 16 hours a week. Now, and we had said, okay, she has to be out on Wednesday nights because we need her to be in the, you know, the children's ministries. And so they were flexible, worked there. But 16 hours a week, she was there. And here's what was going to happen. She was getting up there to where now her meets, because meets would run Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, different levels. Her level was going to now be on Sunday morning. Okay. Sunday morning, 16 hours a week. And then I'm starting to think, so here's what I'm thinking is, you know, she loves gymnastics. I said, oh God, what do we do? And my thought was this, God, is this what you have for her in life? Did God want her to be the, you know, the gymnast that goes and competes at the Olympics, you know? Because that gives someone a great platform to speak for Christ, right? And so I don't know, is, is that what you have for her, Lord? I, I don't know, and I'm struggling with this and, and praying about it. And the summer she was 10 years old, she experienced an injury, not a terrible injury, but an injury where they said, let's take some time off. And so she took some time off. And during that time, by the time we got to the end, she said, I don't know if I want to go back. And um, it was an answer to prayer. And she had fears. I talked to her about it. I called her the other day and said, help me to make sure I'm remembering this right. And we talked about it. Because uh, I remember I was looking at they were saying things like, you know, well, you know, she's getting to that place where she probably ought to move and go live someplace with the gym, right, as some, the, the coaches. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know how I'm going to send my 10-year-old off and live with somebody else when I, God gave me to raise her and protect her. And, and man, you think about everything that's happened in the gymnastics world. Oh. But the point is, I had to look and make a decision, and God led, and God worked, and God showed. He could have just as easily showed, no, this is for her. This is what I want for her. But if we had done that, we would have had to figure out, how do we double down now on making sure that she knows, you know, that her relationship with God and the people of God is so important? How, how do we do that? Um, and so let me say this to you. This is crucial for you, not just with these kinds of decisions, but with your family. Your kids and anybody who's looking to you for spiritual guidance, they need more than information. They need more than you telling them, well, this is what is true and right, and what we believe. They need to see it in you. It needs to be real in you. Not perfect, real. And what they need to know is they not only need to know it's true, they need to experience it in their own life. And so let me just give you an idea here. Once again, this is where if we aren't careful, we put family above what God says. You know, from time to time, there are opportunities for young people to go on missions trips. And I know oftentimes parents say, oh, no way. I'm not letting my kid go there. And besides, all the money, that money we could put to good use, to a college education. We could, right? And there's resistance to that. But let me say that there are few things that I know of that have been more transformative in young people's lives than going on missions trips. Here's why. Because they don't have the money to go. And so they begin praying, God, would you provide the money? 
and they asked, they put a letter out or talked to people and ask, and, and they find out that God answers those prayers. My oldest daughter experienced that. My youngest daughter experienced that. Uh, some of my sons did. God is real. And, and you know what? When, pe- when kids grow up and they have head knowledge about stuff and church and they, they go and they do it, but they never experience the reality of God in their lives, you know what happens when they're 18, 19, 20? Very often they walk away because it was never real for them. And so we need to pass on to our kids, not only do we know these things, but God is real. We experience the truth of these things in our lives. And I got to think, Andrew, who his parents said, sorry, you can't go play baseball on Sunday mornings. You got to, this is more important, is in the ministry today, loving God, serving God. It didn't ruin him. And he uses sports in his ministry. Okay. My oldest daughter, you know, God worked that out. And, and she's in ministry today. Not that that's how you get in ministry. But the point is, they, they all experience that God is real. It isn't just something that we know. Now, how are your kids going to experience that it's real? Well, you can farm it out to a missions trip, but let me give you a better idea. Why don't you gird up the loins of your minds, be sober-minded, and eternal perspective, and you live in such a way that it's real in your life, that you're experiencing it, that you're making decisions where you have to trust God, and he comes through. You know, they will experience that. And we, we gotta, um, I'm going to stop. Just one other thing I'll share with you. Uh, go to the evaluate slide, if you would, Barry. Think about this. If you had to choose between a few thousand dollars in your bank account, or maybe in your kid's bank account, a few thousand dollars in your bank account, or the people you love, knowing, loving, and serving Christ in their lives. Which would you choose? That's so much money. Yeah, but the end result here is that your child may love God and, and know that he's real. I'm not just talking about missions trips. It's anything. I'm just telling you the thing you evaluate here. How about this? A college education for your kids. How important is that to you? Or, if, these are if you had to choose between. So if you had to choose between a college education for your kids or... Your kids growing up knowing, loving, serving Christ in their lives, and he is so real in their lives. Which would you choose for your kid? I guarantee you they would be better off with no college education, loving and knowing God. And the reality is if you'll be that committed to to helping them to experience that because you're living it yourself, God has no problem providing your kids college education. Don't get it backwards, though. This is hard when people don't want their kids to, to grow up and go be missionaries somewhere because they have to choose between being able to see and interact often with your grandchildren or nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, being able to see them interact with them or those young people growing up knowing, loving, serving Christ faithfully as missionaries that he's called. Man, put God first. Prioritize these things. And I said we need to, to stop there. So these three things, that's what Peter's telling us, okay? Do these things. Take this seriously. Um, And I'd be glad to talk to you because I know when I talk about these things, sometimes it opens up many more questions. And that's great. That's how we want to, that's how we grow. So feel free to talk to, to us about it. We'd love to help you.
Father, we come to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you work in our lives. I pray, Lord, you'd stir our hearts and minds that we would yield ourselves completely to you, that we would gird up the loins of our minds and become proactive and diligent about how we're living and whether or not it's consistent with who you are and what your word says. And, and I pray, Lord, we live in such ways that we experience your reality. We experience the truth. We don't just know it. We experience it so we can pass it on to our kids and uh, all these things, Lord. I pray that we as your people would honor and glorify you by living the way you tell us here in your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. We'll start our other studies in a few minutes in here and in the foyer.